And if you'll keep those Bibles open and flip over to the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to look at the second scene of this interaction between Naaman and the prophet Elisha. If you were with us last week, you know that Elisha, under the power of God, has sent Naaman, a prestigious and royal member of the Syrian king. He has sent him to the river Jordan to dip there seven times, and now Naaman is clean of his leprosy. And now we see the second half of that story, the second scene of that story, as Naaman responds to his cleansing, but also we see Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, being full of greed and receiving uh, a severe punishment. And so, again, hear now the words of our God, reading from 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 15, reading through the end of the chapter, verse 27. Then he returned to the man of God, talking about Naaman to Elisha, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So now accept a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did my heart not go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it at a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. Well, last week we mentioned this great doctrine that is found all throughout the Old Testament, these types of Christ, we would say. 
these foreshadowings, if you will, of, of the greater one that is coming. Of course, that is Jesus. Throughout all of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the better Moses or the better promise. That Jesus was greater than the angels. That Jesus is the greater David. And, and so forth and so on. We have these Old Testament characters that actually cause us to, to long for one that will come who will be better than he. And throughout the New Testament, it actually tells us that Elijah was a forerunner or a type of John the Baptizer. And in fact, if Elijah was the forerunner of John the Baptizer, then Elisha, who comes after Elijah, who has a double portion of the Spirit of God, more than Elijah, Elisha then is the forerunner or a type of Christ. Not only do we see that happening throughout the miracles in which the prophet performs throughout his earthly ministry, but we actually see it here in this kind of divine, supernatural-like discernment where Elisha is able to see or to peer into the motives or, or the hearts of uh, these two individuals, first Naaman and then Gehazi. And within these verses, verses 15 through 27, we actually see something of a compare and contrast that's taking place for us here. As we see Naaman offering gifts to the prophet Elisha, Elisha refusing those gifts, but then Gehazi in his greed and in his sinfulness then goes and steals coveting what Naaman has, and so steals the riches of Naaman, the royal riches of the Syrian empire. And we see Naaman being restored. We see Naaman, or Naaman being uh, receiving salvation. And then we see Gehazi receiving cursing or, or death, if you will, uh, in this uh, leprosy clinging to him and his descendants uh, forever. Admittedly, there's much to learn here for us in verses 15 through 27, but I want us to see and prayerfully consider how the greater Elisha, Jesus himself, peers into our hearts, knows our motives, and commands for us one thing, for us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices only to him. And so you see there in verses 15 and 16 how Elisha's heart goes after Naaman when he speaks of giving Elisha this gift from the Syrian empire. We actually know as we look at verses 15 and 16 that Naaman has already uh, received many riches from the king of Syria. If you look back at the end of verse 5 in this same chapter, the king of Syria sends Naaman to go to the king of Israel to be healed, and he sends with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changings of clothing. Uh, this is a, a great riches that has been presented to Naaman to give to Elisha. And now that Naaman is healed by being obedient to the words of the prophet of God, he now begins to desire to give these gifts to Elisha. And in and of themselves, you would understand that there is nothing really wrong about what Naaman wants to do. He wants to give back a, a thanksgiving 
He wants to give back a gift of thankfulness to the prophet for, for his cleansing. But also you see Elisha refusing it because Elisha understands that Naaman's cleansing only comes through the power of the Lord. It was the Lord that made the rivers uh, of Jordan supernatural so that when Naaman uh, obediently went and dipped himself seven times into the waters there at the Jordan that he would be healed. And if you were with us last week, you know how we even compared that to how we are healed from our sinfulness, how we have that death sentence of spiritual leprosy, that we're dead in our sins and our trespasses, but God, being rich in mercy, now gives us new life in Christ Jesus. It's a work from God. Even our faith is a gift from God so that no man might boast in their salvation. And here it is that that is fully on display before us. That Naaman has been obedient, that he has been cleansed, that his death sentence of leprosy has now been transformed into life. And it's not proper for him to now present these riches to Elisha. Elisha is just the means, if you will, of God's power and God's graciousness to Naaman. And as Naaman even declares there in those first few verses, in verses 15 and 16, that there is no God in all the earth but the God of Israel, the Lord. Elisha's God. He is the one true God. We even see the Spirit working on the heart of Naaman. Surely if if Naaman were to even try to understand the gospel and the power of God in his own self, he would fail miserably. If, If Naaman was to somehow try to earn God's grace and God's favor and God's healing by the riches that he possessed, he would fail miserably. But through the gracious acts of God, through through the means of the prophet Elisha, Naaman understands that the power of God, the power of the Lord Himself, has saved him. And so what I think we see here, and I'm pretty convinced of this, and all the good commentators agree, is that we actually see Naaman being born again by the Spirit of God. And Elisha knows this, and Naaman knows this, but the young infant, spiritually infant Naaman does not know how to properly give God thanks for the good gift that He has given to him in his salvation. Therefore, he tries to give his riches to Elisha, but Elisha is essentially saying, do not look upon me as the power of your healing, as the power of your salvation. Don't worship me, worship God. And of course, that's a scene that we see repeated for us in Revelation as John sees the the riches of heaven, isn't it? As John sees heaven being opened up before him, as he sees the powerful throne there in Revelation chapter 4, excuse me, as he sees the worship of heaven in Revelation chapter 5, as he sees the new heavens and the new earth, In Revelation 20, 21, and 22, we see him immediately trying to fall upon his face before the angel. And the angel rebukes him and he says, don't worship me, worship God. He is the one that's done this. And in fact, that's what Elisha is doing here as well. He is saying, don't look to me, don't worship 
me, but look to God. God is the one who has healed you. God is the one who has saved you. And as Naaman comes in faith to the Lord, declaring there is no God in all the earth but the God of Israel, we see a real saving faith. We see a real saving faith consuming the heart of Naaman. Now, if you have your Bibles open, if you'll just keep your finger there at 2 Kings chapter 5 and then turn with me over to Acts chapter 8, you see the the contrast of this story. In Acts chapter 8, we have Simon the sorcerer hearing the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ, seeing the miracles being performed by the apostles. And in verses 9 through 23, we see how Simon responds to this gospel proclamation and to these miracles that are being performed. Hear this, or read along with me. But there was a man named Simon who previously practiced magic or sorcery in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, through the laying on the hands of the apostles, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before the Lord. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. You see, here it is that that Simon hears the message of God, hears the gospel of God, sees the miracles performed, and he supposedly, as, as understood by Philip here, believes he's even baptized if you will and yet when the apostles Peter and John come and they pray for this church at Samaria and the Holy Spirit begins to fall upon them and they receive the signs of the Spirit as instituted there in the early church before the canon our Bibles were complete you see it's Simon who wants power it is Simon who wants glory it's Simon who wants riches And you understand, don't you, that the difference that exists here within the heart of Naaman and the heart of Simon. Simon wants. Simon wants wealth. Simon wants power. Simon wants prestige. Naaman is just thankful. He is completely thankful for this healing in which God has given him through the prophet Elisha. 
And so Simon simply believes because he sees these miracles and these signs in which were done, and he craves that power. He craves that popularity. He craves that prestige. He, he craves that, that, or those riches, if you will. And Naaman says rightly, you can have it all, Elisha. You, you can have it all, for I am thankful that I have come to know the Lord, and I am thankful that I have been cleansed as white as snow. And so circling back to something that we've already said, if you'll flip back to 2 Kings chapter 5, it's not that, it's not that Naaman is wrong in his response to give unto Elisha the riches. He's just simply giving the riches to the wrong person. You see, in his heart of hearts, Naaman knows that it is right to give back in thankfulness to what the Lord has done, but he does not give back to Elisha. He gives back to the Lord. Isn't that what Psalm 116 verses 12 through 14 says? What shall I render to the Lord for all of His benefits toward me? That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Here it is that Elisha is taking the attention off of him as the prophet of God and turning it to the Lord Himself. And he is saying, if you are to give anything, Naaman, give it to God. And you can see how this strikes at the heart of Naaman as well in verses 17 uh, through verse 19. Here it is that, that Naaman begins to wrestle with this idea that he has to go back to the Syrian king and he'll have to go back into the temples of the false gods, these false gods of Syria, who, he, who is, he's just renounced them. And he says, you know, I need to be pardoned. I need to be forgiven for the acts in which I will perform as I return to the king. Now, I don't think that this is asking for some sort of future, future justification for what, for what Naaman will do here. He's not asking for any sort of maybe pardon, if you will, from Elisha himself. He's just simply asking under a deep conviction for Elisha to bless him to go back before the king, understanding that as he goes before the king, he will be in a sin-filled world serving the Lord. You even see how he says it there in verse 17. I will not offer any sacrifices to any of these gods, but I will only offer burnt sacrifices to the Lord. He understands what the command here is for a new servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the God who trumps, who prevails over any earthly God. And Elisha, interestingly here, tells him, go in peace. Go in peace. It's as if Elisha understands that we're all in the midst of a sin-filled world. That we're all under the pressures, the external pressures of serving many different gods. How often do, do we have the temptation, if you will, the, the, the external pressures 
to serve the God of feeling or serve the God of satisfaction or, or serve the God of fame and fortune. How, how often are, are those gods, those idols presented to us and saying there is enjoyment, at least momentary enjoyment to be found in these things. And yet, the command from the Word of God this morning is for us to be like Naaman and say, despite all of these pressures of idolatry that exist all around me, I must only give my all and my life to my Lord, the God of Israel, the God of Elisha, the one true God. And so as Elisha tells him to go in peace, he understands that no matter where Naaman goes, He is going to feel the temptation to turn his eyes away from the Lord, the God of hosts. And he says, no, Naaman, you go and be faithful. You go and be faithful in the kingdom of Syria. You go and be faithful as one of the the king's highest, highest guards. You go and you serve the Lord where God has planted you. And that's the same thing that Jesus says. As as the satyrian comes to him and asks for first a miracle, and then he comes in faith. Remember what the Lord Jesus tells the satyrian. He says, Lord, I want to give up my allegiance to the Roman Empire. I want to give up my prestige as a satyrian, and I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no, you go and be a faithful satyrian. And the Lord's calling us in the same way to go and be faithful where we have been planted in our homes in our workplaces, in our community. He tells us to go and shine the light of Christ so bright that we would be a hope to the nations so that all people might know to whom we belong. And it's it's not that we remove ourselves from the world around us, but we are in the world and yet not of the world. That's exactly what's being established here with Naaman as he goes even to this Syrian empire as he goes even into the house of Ramon, these false gods, Elisha saying, you go and you be in the world, but don't be of the world. You go and you worship your God, Naaman, this God who has saved you, this God that has healed you, and you be faithful unto Him. Go in peace. And yet, even when we see the, 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 really the discipleship, maybe, the discipleship of Naaman as Elisha sends him out to be faithful in the world. We see Gehazi. We see Gehazi, the one who should be getting it right, falling flat on his face in disobedience. Look at verse 20. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi sees the riches in which Naaman approaches Elisha at the very beginning. He he hears the interaction. He sees the interaction of Elisha telling Naaman to not worship him, not thank him, but thank God, worship God, serve God faithfully. And Gehazi's sin consumes him. Hearing this message from Elisha, he hardens his heart further. And he says, you know what? Beyond giving God the glory in which He deserves, I want the riches. I want the prestige. I want the glory. I want the power. 
and we see Gehazi following, following in the footsteps of Simon the sorcerer. And so he approaches Naaman and he gets a portion of these riches and he returns to Elisha. And you see how Elisha searches the heart of Gehazi and he says, I know that you went to Naaman. I know that you received from him a portion and therefore the punishment of your sin, verse 27, is the leprosy of Naaman. He shall cling to you and your descendants forever. This is this idea that, that, that as Gehazi is confronted with his sin, he doesn't repent of his sin, he further hardens his heart, and he says, this sinfulness in which I have committed will be so ingrained within me that it will be passed on to my children and my children's children, and they will be guilty of those sins because they're learning their sins from me. It's a generational sin that's taking place here. It's this coveting. It's this desire for self-worth. It's this desire for for self-promotion. And we see, don't we, how Naaman is cleansed from his leprosy. He is made as white as snow. It says that his skin is new like the skin of an infant. So went out Gehazi from the presence of Elisha, a leper like snow. What he's he's saying here is that he has the complete opposite of Naaman. Where Naaman has life, Gehazi has death. And And we need to understand this truth that's being proclaimed to us. We we need to understand that if we will harden our hearts as the gospel is presented, if we'll want self-worth and self-prestige more than we want the worthiness of Christ to be exalted, the fame of Christ to be lifted up in our homes and in our workplaces and in our community, we will surely face death like Gehazi faces here. And so we have to understand that we have this invitation, if you will, to to see the promises of Christ, that if we'll come in real faith, He will change our hearts, He will cleanse us from all iniquities, that He will cause us to believe and actually enable us to walk in Christ's likeness and holiness. We must just simply give Him our life and our all for His glory. And yet, if we will harden our hearts and not repent of our sins and to cling to earthly riches, we will be ultimately destroyed. And so let me ask you some searching questions. Because Jesus, because Jesus knows your innermost desire, because like Elisha here in our text, Jesus' heart goes with you, do you come with a heart of humility, a heart of faith, Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to see His name spread throughout the nations? Do you desire earthly riches, earthly fame, or do you you desire to give Him your life and your all? You know, surely what Jesus says to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, if you will believe, you will see greater things than these. And most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. If you will give 
your life and your all to Jesus. If you will come to Him in faith and humility, He gives us this promise. You shall see the heavens opened, life eternal, and you shall join the angelic courses above, worshiping the Lord forever and ever. You know, what Gehazi desired here is earthly riches that will soon pass away. But what Jesus offers you is riches beyond all comparison that lasts for all eternity. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for our time in the scriptures this morning. And we pray, O Lord, that it would encourage us where it ought to encourage us, convict us where it ought to convict us. Show us, Lord, those places in our heart that we desire earthly fame and earthly treasure more than we desire Thee. And may we repent of those sins, turn away from those sins and those idols, and and pursue You, knowing that You are able to give us far more than anything this earth has to offer, and far more than our hearts have ever desired. And so, Father, do a good work in us this morning. Save sinners, encourage and sanctify believers. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.